Amen. Good morning, City Light. Great to see you. My name's Doug. I love getting to follow Jesus with all of you. You know, life is usually a series of regular moments, like lots of little sequences that add up to a string of events, and before you know it, a day has passed. A week has passed. Years have passed. But every so often, a glory moment comes along in our lives. You know those moments that are truly glorious and they wreck you in the best of ways. You're overcome or overwhelmed by an experience. You're struck by the splendor. Like one moment I think of in the movies is Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. When Gandalf the White appears to them in the dark forest and he's glowing bright and he encourages the soldiers and the tide turns in the war. Or another glory moment is when the Chiefs won the Super Bowl after 50 years. Confetti went flying everywhere, and uh, that was a glory moment. The most memorable glory moment in my life came on December 17, 2004. It was mine and Whitney's wedding day. We had a small budget, but a ton of friends and awesome community who made the day really special. We just ordered flowers wholesale online, and a friend arranged them for us. Uh, we bought some cheap Christmas twinkle lights and wrapped them around the pillars of the church. Instead of the classic groom's cake, we had banana pudding. Instead of the classic bride's cake, we had assorted homemade cheesecake. I mean, that was glory, guys. Uh, I still remember the actual wedding. Before the wedding, uh, me and uh, my pastor and my groomsmen, we were outside in like a little hallway off to the side, you know. And uh, doing what groomsmen do in those moments, telling jokes and laughing about farts. That's kind of what happens there. It was really normal, not glorious at all, but then the music shifted inside. And I knew, oh, it's time to go in. So I'm starting to feel it, you know. And so I walk in following my pastor, and before you know it, I'm up on stage with my pastor looking out. And with each bridesmaid that comes down the aisle, I know I'm one moment closer to seeing Whitney. The anticipation rises, the emotions build, and then I don't even know what to do. I'm trying to take deep breaths, but the moment comes. The doors in the back open, and out of the shadows emerges her, wearing white, stunningly beautiful, her face, her hair. It's just beaming. She's bright, but it's not even just her face and hair and dress. It's also who I knew her to be, like her soul, her heart, her person. I was so overcome as she walked down the aisle by this glory moment that I like put my hands on my knees for a little while just to hold myself up. I laughed. I cried. I looked like a fool and didn't even care. And then throughout the wedding, she and I are like facing each other, holding one another's hands, looking each other in the eyes while our pastor said some words. I'm guessing they were from the Bible and about Jesus. I don't remember a thing he said. I was just enjoying the moment with my bride, a glory moment. What about you? You know, life is usually a series of just regular moments, but every so often a glory moment comes along. You remember some of those in your life? This morning, we're looking at a passage, a story of a glory moment for Jesus' followers, his disciples. They had seen people healed. They had seen miracles done. People who were demonized were set free. They had seen Jesus be the greatest teacher ever in the entire history of the universe. But this moment tops them all. Mark chapter 9, the transfiguration of Jesus. 
And I just want to walk through this glory moment for the disciples. And I just want us to see that this glory moment for them, I think, makes some real connections in our regular lives. So if you've got your Bibles, go to Mark chapter 9, and we'll pick it up there. Chapter 9, verse 2. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. It's like every word here is carefully chosen by Mark, the writer of the scene. After six days, if you remember back to the six days of creation, or when Moses went up on Mount Sinai, he was up there six days. It's like Mark's taking them back to some of these grand, epic moments in the narrative of God. And then he said it's only Peter, James, and John who get to go up. It's like the VIP guest list. And then they're up on a high mountain, which is like the setting for every classic epic moment in both history and literature. The story continues in, at the end of verse 2. It says, And he, Jesus, was transfigured before them. Well, that's an understatement, right? You're like, give me some more here, Mark. What do you mean? Like, what really happened? Thankfully, he continues. Verse 3. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white as no one on earth could bleach them. Jesus was so gloriously pure, clean, holy, and bright that it even transformed. It changed the very clothes he was wearing. It's like this holiness from his person just punched through his clothes and they became radiant. Whiter than new Air Force Ones straight out of the box. Whiter than any woman's wedding dress. Whiter than every mother's like dream laundry, bleach, detergent combination that they wish they could have when they were moms of toddlers. When my family goes swimming, um, my kids always make fun of just how pale I really am. You know, like we get to the pool, I take my shirt off, they're like, Dad, it's blinding. I can't see. Put your shirt back on. Jesus is whiter than me at the swimming pool, you know? Except for him, it's not a farmer's tan. It is the glory of God on him, coming through him, in him, and out of him. He was transfigured. The story continues, and it says this, There appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Now, what's happening here? I mean, here's Moses, who had died thousands of years before, just up here having a chat with Jesus. And here's Elijah, who never actually technically died, and he's back talking with Jesus. For the disciples in this moment, this was like seeing their childhood heroes back in full force. It's like getting to meet Tom Osborne for every Cornhusker football fan. It's like Luke Skywalker to every Star Wars fan. It's Jane Austen to every chick flick addict out there. You know, they can do no wrong. These were their heroes, and here they are talking to Jesus. So now, now, Peter's like, it's a good time for me to say something. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good that we're here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Have you ever had one of those moments where you've like fallen asleep but kind of wake back up and you're just speaking gibberish? Yeah, that's what Peter's doing here. Uh, I remember when I was younger, uh, I had fallen asleep and then somehow I'd like slept walk over to my closet and turned on the light in the closet and then I was just like sitting down in the closet floor, floor. And that's where mom and dad found me. And they said, Doug, what are you doing here? And I said, I'm looking for the laws as though that made sense. You know, they're like, oh, something's off here. I was just speaking gibberish, words spilling out of my mouth. That's what Peter's doing here in this moment. 
Mark explains it for us in verse 6. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. That's what glory moments do to you, don't they? Like there's an aspect of glory moments that's just sheer beauty and peaceful. But there's another aspect of glory moments that are a little bit scary. Like your pulse quickens, your heart races, the beauty's so compelling that it affects you. You have to shield your eyes because of the glory that's hitting you. The glory's so shocking and you're reminded that you are not the one in control. You are not in the driver's seat. You are not all powerful and it's a little bit scary. Verse 7 continues, and it says, A cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. So now we have a cloud showing up, just like all the famous clouds in the Old Testament. If you remember how God led his people through the desert in the wilderness, it was a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. And then the tabernacle gets constructed. The glory of God descends on it like a cloud. When Moses went up into the mountain, he was engulfed by a cloud. And now here in Mark chapter 9, out of this cloud, the voice of the Father, the voice of God Almighty himself speaks, saying, guys, this is my son, Jesus. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone. But, only, but Jesus only. So all of the glory moment, the radiant clothes, the childhood heroes of Moses and Elijah, Peter's nonsense words, the cloud, the voice coming out of the cloud, it all comes back to this moment when it's only Jesus. Jesus himself is the glory. Jesus himself is at the center of the glory moment. All of the glory moment is there to lead up to more and more of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Don't you wish you could have been there, City Light? Like, I would pay top dollar just to make some nonsense comment like Peter, you know? Jesus, I'm, I'm glad that I'm here. Let me build a Lego set for you, you know? Just to get swallowed up in the brightness of the glory engulfed in the cloud. We love glory moments. That's why the movie industry spends billions and billions of dollars so that each movie looks a little more and more real to us. It's why bungee jumping and skydiving and amusement parks exist. It's why we go to the Grand Canyon or climb 14ers or get that window seat in the airplane because we want to see glory, the thrill, the surge of it all. City Light, this transfiguration of Jesus, it is clearly a glory moment. And I don't think any of us would argue with that, but... I think the second point I'm about to make is a little more difficult to swallow, and that's this. This glory moment is sandwiched by promises of suffering. Right before and right after this incredible mountaintop glory moment, Jesus is talking about suffering, his own and his disciples. Look at chapter 8, verse 31. And he, Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man, that's him, Jesus, must, now notice this string of words, suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. Skip down a little bit, chapter 8, verse 34. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So... Right before the glory moment and the bright glows and nonsense words and the cloud and the voice going up the mountain, there's Jesus saying, hey guys, I'm going to suffer and die 
and you come follow me. And then right after, look at chapter 9, verse 12. Jesus says, And how is it written of the Son of Man, that's him again, that he should suffer many things? That sounds familiar. Going right back to chapter 8, verse 31. And be treated with contempt. So the glory moment of the transfiguration is sandwiched by promises of suffering. Okay, let me ask you a question. What is your favorite sandwich? Okay, maybe it's a BLT, PB&J, BBQ, LMNOP, other acronyms, right? What's your favorite sandwich? Maybe for you, like for me, it's a good burger, okay? That's what I'm interested in. I love a smoky, medium well, like the cow actually has to be dead before I'm going to eat it, well-seasoned burger. That's my favorite sandwich. How about you? My guess, let me just take a wild guess, as you think about your favorite sandwich, what you're really thinking about in that favorite sandwich is what's between the buns is what you like, not the buns themselves. Like, have you ever heard someone brag about their favorite burger by telling you about how awesome the buns are? No, because buns are buns are buns are buns, right? In fact, my family has just kind of gotten tired of the buns, and we just go without them, you know? It's like, why waste time with the buns? Give me the burger. Like, Whitney, she got this, like, burger seasoning mix that she makes homemade. I'm pretty sure she downloaded it from heaven itself. And so we, like, just douse the burgers in that. We put it on the grill, bring it back out of the grill, forget the buns, just get it in my belly, okay? Now, Wish we could just skip the buns altogether. In this suffering, glory, suffering sandwich of Mark chapter 8 and 9, City Light, how I wish we could skip the buns altogether. Jesus, just give me the glory. Don't talk to me about suffering. Like, Jesus, just transport me up to the high mountain, and could you stop teaching? Could you stop talking about all this suffering stuff? Anyone else? Yeah, we're all there. So Why? Why does the Bible show us this suffering, glory, suffering sandwich? Why not just skip the suffering buns and give us the glory burger? I think there's a couple reasons. I think first, Mark is letting us know that Jesus understands suffering. Like, Jesus gets suffering. Bad days, bad years, bad diagnosis, bad relationships. Bad rumors or persecution because of your faith in Jesus. Jesus understands suffering, and he's not detached from us whenever we're in it. No, he is connected to us and with us in the suffering. But I think Mark also shows us this suffering, glory, suffering sandwich because he wants to tell us that the glory moments sustain us through the suffering. Like we're willing to eat the buns so that we can have the burger. This past year, after the Los Angeles Rams won the Super Bowl, their star defensive lineman, Aaron Donald, he said this about his mountaintop Super Bowl experience win. There's no other feeling like it. So when I talk about me saying I'll be done in eight years, he had originally said he'd retire after eight years, then he's like, nah, maybe not. But then experiencing something like that, it's like I want to do everything I can to experience that again. Now I see why Tom Brady, Aaron Donald had to be a punk and bring Tom Brady into the conversation, can play this game so long because this guy's won seven of these. Aaron Donald knows that the glory moments sustain us through the suffering. Tom Brady knows it. 
And Jesus knows that his disciples need to know it too. That's why in chapter 8, verse 31, when they're going up the mountain, Jesus reminds them, he foretells and predicts that he will rise from the dead after his suffering. And in chapter 9, verse 9, when they're coming down the mountain, he again foretells, predicts, he promises that he will rise from the dead on the third day after his death. The glory sustains us through the suffering. So Mark chapter 9, the transfiguration of Jesus, it's a glory moment, but it's sandwiched by promises of suffering. Suffering, glory, suffering. It's real life, isn't it? Now, let me close by being practical a little bit. If life with Jesus tends to follow a suffering, glory, suffering pattern, and if the glory moments are meant to sustain us through that suffering, then I just want to help us identify where each of us might be in this process. Front-end suffering, the burger of glory, the back-end suffering, or if you're like, Doug, it's like nearly noon. I'm starving, bro. Change metaphors. Let's just go to mountains, okay? The ascent up, the climb up the mountain, the mountaintop experience itself, or the descent back down into regular life of suffering, okay? Where are we in that? And let me give one strategy for connecting with Jesus wherever you might be. Some of us, we might be in a front-end season of suffering, the top bun of suffering, the climb up the mountain. This season is characterized by a call to sacrifice, a call to suffer. The verse that characterizes this season more than any other is Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Where Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. It's a clear call to sacrifice, to loss, to letting go, to giving up your rights, releasing control, laying something down. For example, Jesus might be calling you to lay down, to let go of a sinful posture in your heart or sinful pattern in your life. Maybe Jesus is calling you to let go of some bitterness and revenge that you've held on to for years. And he's calling you to forgive instead. Maybe Jesus is calling you clearly to let go, to lay down a habit you've developed of watching pornography. And he's saying, repent of that, turn from that, lay it down, and take up your cross and follow Jesus. Or maybe it's some involuntary suffering that has come on you, a diagnosis that you received, or maybe it's pain inflicted by others, and Jesus is calling you to, even in the middle of this, to turn to him and trust him, to look to him. Or maybe for you it's like the death of a thousand paper cuts. You can't catch a break, much less catch your breath. And Jesus is going, I know it's difficult. While you're still in it, trust me. Turn to me. Even lay down your own comfort. The top bun of suffering, the climb up the mountain, is characterized by a call to sacrifice. So what's the strategy? Like, if you're there in this moment, you're like, yeah, that's me. What's the strategy? It's this. Seek the greater gain. Seek the better profit of Jesus himself. As Jesus says in chapter 8, verse 36, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Jesus here, he's appealing to our innate desire for profit, reward, and gain. He's saying, don't settle for the weak and temporary profits and pleasures of sin. 
Don't settle for your own comfort or your own convenience or your own control. Give that up. I know it will include suffering to give that up, but give it up because the greater gain and the greater reward is so much better. And Jesus is that greater gain. He's better than anything you have to give up on the climb up the mountain. That's the first one. Others of us, we might be in the glory moment right now. Right, you're just on the mountaintop with Jesus. Every time you open your Bible, Jesus might as well be sitting right next to you, just chatting it up with you. When you pause and pray, it's like Dr. Strange shows up and draws you a portal. You get to step through and experience the bliss of heaven. You know, your relationship with Jesus is close. It's intimate. It's glorious. If you are in a glory moment with Jesus right now, here's your strategy. You ready? Enjoy Jesus. Enjoy Jesus in every way. Think on Jesus, feel towards Jesus, delight in Jesus. Use every spare moment for Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Speak your raw heart and mind to Jesus, even if it doesn't make sense, just like Peter. Savor seeing his face. Enjoy the communion and communication. Enjoy Jesus for as long as this season lasts. Recently, I got lunch with um, a longtime friend of mine, and I knew over the years, he just struggled off and on in his relationship with Jesus. And uh, we were getting lunch, but, but right before we were getting lunch, he had watched this like YouTube video of Tim Tebow talking about world hunger and helping orphans, something like that. And right in the middle of this video, the Holy Spirit just dropped on this dude. Just boom, here comes the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, he said he was like lit on fire for Jesus. Sin was like more unwanted and ugly than ever in his life. Jesus was just stunningly amazing and awesome. All he wanted to do was pray and prayer journal all day long, talk to his kids about Jesus, talk to his wife about Jesus, talk to his uh, co-workers about Jesus. Every break at work, he said, was just another excuse to read his Bible and pray some more. He was having a glory moment with Jesus. And so he wanted to get uh, lunch with me and ask me, what should I do? My response was simple. I just said, enjoy Jesus. Just enjoy this glory moment with him, whether it lasts for hours or days or years. Soak up the sweet simplicity of seeing and savoring Jesus. So if you're in the middle of the glory moment, what's your strategy? Enjoy Jesus. Get as much of him as you possibly can. Now, Others of us, we might be in that descent down the mountain. It's the bottom bun of suffering. We remember when we felt close to Jesus. Maybe it was days ago, maybe it was years ago, that sweet intimacy with Jesus, just hearing from him, seeing him face to face. It was awesome. It was amazing. But now we're on the descent back down into the valley of regular life. The sad reality is that until Jesus returns, every glory moment with Jesus is way too short-lived. I remember learning this whenever our uh, firstborn came along, the birth of our first child. When he was born, it was a glory moment for me. I was in awe and wonder at the beauty of birth and like the power of Whitney to bring about new life and the goodness of God in our newborn child. Like praise songs were just erupting, going off in my mind. I was so excited. I felt like a little bit taller, walking around lighter, and I was just in a glory moment. It was incredible. God was awesome for about 24 to 48 hours. Because as every first, uh, first parent knows, 
That glory moment is immediately followed by sleepless nights and changing blowout poopy diapers and other forms of suffering, right? <clears throat> the truth is every glory moment is way too short-lived until Jesus comes back. So what's the strategy on the descent back down the mountain? It's this. Know that an eternal glory is still coming. That was an awesome glory moment. It was good. But now you're going back down into regular life. Know that an eternal, never-ending, forever glory is coming your way. Look at Mark chapter 9, verse 9. Jesus, or as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they're coming back down from the awesome mountaintop experience. And Jesus says, hey, keep this to yourselves until you see me resurrected. You're going to go through some suffering, guys. Chapters 10 through 15 are all about the suffering of Jesus and his disciples. But then chapter 16 is coming, which is all about the resurrection of Jesus. So he's going, guys, hang on to this. And when you see my resurrection, you know it's a down payment, a promise, a guarantee of an eternal glory that will never fade, an eternal glory that you can always enjoy. There will never be another descent down the mountain. And so City Light for us, that means that no matter how many descents we make this side of heaven, no matter how many years we spend in the valley of regular life, we have a precious and great promise. We will one day see Jesus face to face. And on that day, the glory will never fade. It will be an eternal glory, a forever glory. Take the best glory moment you've ever had, multiply it forever, seeing the face of Jesus, and that's what he's promised for us. So I'll just close with some words from the Apostle Paul. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. City Light, let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we ask for your presence now through the person of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you come? Holy Spirit, be among us and stirring our thoughts, stir our affections, Stir even our memories. Father, I pray for my friends in the room that they would remember some glory moments they've had with you. Those times when it's sweet and intimate and powerful. Would you just take them back to those moments and let them know they were real and you were real. Jesus, communicate to your people through your spirit. And now, Father, I pray for anyone in the room who feels like they're on the climb up. You've clearly called them to sacrifice, to lay something down, to give it up, whether that's a sin pattern or maybe it's some suffering they just got going that happened to them, but they need to lay down their comfort and trust you even in the middle of it. Oh, Jesus, would you give them a glimpse of the greater gain, which is you, your person, your presence, your nearness, your love. Would you let them know that you too went through suffering and out the other side resurrected it? Father, I pray for those who they're in a glory moment right now. They're thrilled, they're connected to you, and it's awesome. Jesus, would you let it last longer? Let them savor this moment and experience you in incredibly deep ways. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you take their love for Jesus deeper than ever? And would you
would you take Jesus' love for them and drive it deeper than ever and let them soak in it? Even, Father, for so many who feel like they're on the descent back now, it was awesome and it was good, but now it feels like the valley of just regular. Maybe even the valley of suffering, the valley of death. Oh, Jesus, would you let them know that you're in it with them, you haven't left their side, you haven't forgotten them, and you will bring them through until one day they see you face to face. To behold you, and on that day the glory will never fail. Come, Spirit, and speak. Give us the grace to press into these moments.